You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. On today's show, we're talking to Uncle Badger Bates of the Barkindji Mob about Broken Hill's water shortages. Broken Hill is near the end of the Darling River, which stretches from eastern Queensland through New South Wales almost as far west as South Australia, before meeting up with the Murray. The government is building a pipeline from the Murray to Broken Hill to provide that town with water, but what happens to the environment, the community and to farming when the lower Darling River is dry? In the lakes mean to us now, to all of us, and it's not just black people along the river, black people it means to the white people, it's, it's like blood flowing through their veins. After that, we'll talk to Jason Alexandra, who is an expert in water and natural resource management and used to work for the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. But first, to Uncle Badger. Hello and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, well, I'm a, my real name is William Brian Bates. I'm a, they call me Badger. I'm a Barkindy person from western New South Wales and uh, my country's along and out from the Darling River in western New South Wales and down from up near Burke right down to Wentworth on the Murray. Cool. Murray, or the Darling River, it's the Murray. So today we're talking about Broken Hills water problems. Can you please describe the area for the listeners that you were just talking about, um, the Lower Darling and the Menindee Lakes? Okay, just for the listeners, I was born in uh, 1947 on the river, so... I'm nearly taking 70, so I know a little bit about how the river changed and all that, just for people to know where I'm coming from. Didn't I hung around Wilcannia all the time and up, because there's sort of what we've done, we had little groups all over the place, and some of us stayed around Wilcannia and worked around Wilcannia. So I didn't see the uh, Menindi or anything like that until about in the 60s, sorry, you know, 70s? Uh, in the 60s, so yeah. Mm. But yeah, we stayed in our little clan group, then we used to come down and go through Menindee, stay with the old people when I grew up when I was about 14, 15 and we used to go down to Dirton for the grape picking and go back. But anywhere along the Darling in those times there was water in the river. It might go down a little bit but it was never ever bone dry. Okay. And what do the river and the lakes mean to you? The river and the lakes mean to us now, to all of us, and it's not just black people along the river. It's black people it means to the white people. It's, it's like blood flowing through their veins. Uh, if we don't have the river, everyone just lost and walking around in misery. Our crime rate goes up at Wilcannia, Menindi, Burke, right up to Walgut, because there's nothing to do, and that's uh, with black and white kids sometimes, because when there's water in the river, the kids can go swimming, they can share culture, because we teach the kids at Wilcannia both cultures, and also... They, they can catch fish and tourists come through and they can sell a bit of fish and get a bit of pocket money. So but when the river's down, they destroy everyone. So the river's down at the moment? Uh, yes, it dropped down again. We had a bit of a rise come through in about, um, came through in about over the last couple of months, there was a little bit of water coming through. Mm. And uh, But what, what's sort of happening with the, the people... You know, the government people and all that, you said we have to rush, so I'll try and get it. Uh, 
like a lot of water at the minute, the lakes and all that. And it just, as soon as we get water, we keep it. And, and then we got to let it go. And there's nothing for the people from Brogan Hill because Minindy Lake is the recreation area for where they can go and teach the kids and stuff like that. But as soon as they let the water go, we got nothing. So all we do and, and they're keeping us as a just a bank deposit for water so they can just let it go when they want it. Mm. And when I say they, I mean the Murray Darling basic people and the people from the government who don't know anything about our country and how dry it is out here. Now we depend on water, and it should stop. Mm. So there's been a lot of changes to the river since colonisation. Um, the flow's been reduced by 40%, and the yep. timing of the flow's changed. Um, yep. Instead of the largest volumes coming down from the north in autumn and spring, the largest volumes are now let through in summer to meet demand. What sort of effect has this had on the land and on the Barkindji people? Well, on the land... It's got a big effect because, like, we the Barkney people, we we are not, we you know, we got stations, so we got a little bit of stock on some land, but only on one station. But we're not uh, irrigators or anything like that. And it does have a big effect on people. Uh, like for people who have grow stuff and try and get some employment, I'll give you an example. Minindi, you know, it's uh, one of the places where we can store a bit of water for everyone, but... Over the last 10 years, Menindi is, is more or less a dust bowl. All the grapevines and the fruit trees that grew at Menindi, they're just dead. And that's where, what I'm saying, that the politicians and the Murray-Darling Basin should have a good look around and be honest with people and and leave things alone. You know, they, they play in God with the big dams and pumps and all that. Mm. That shouldn't ever happen. Know? What they got to think about, this is Australia right out here, and, and, and it's a dry country out where we is. Mm. Do they want to turn the Murray-Darling Basin into a dust pile like they got overseas and all that? Mm. It's got to stop. And and with the people, what buy a lot of this land now, it's not just the ordinary Australians, it's big companies coming out. They should take their cotton and go back to where they come from and leave us alone. So are you saying that people upriver, um, the cotton farmers, are taking too much water? Yes, they are taking too much water. And what they do when they take a lot of water out, you know, you know, when they talk about the environment, what is the environment to them? There's just one big flood coming down and they, could, and they think they've done right. When I was a kid, back when I was born in 47, so in the 50s, there was always a little flow coming through the river and it kept everyone going. Everyone was happy. And sometimes the water would be only about an ankle deep, but we had water. Now, they can turn the tap off up there in Queensland or wherever, just near Burke, just up from Burke and that's in New South Wales. they got these big dams. So then they let the water down, the fish, you know, like you get a... When I was a kid, there was water beetles, there was a lot of fish, there was turtles and everything, and, and mussels, you know? Mm. Now, they got to think those people, those things was in the water, they got no legs. They're not like a human. they got no legs. They take the water, they kill them. Then they leave it going for six months, you know, let the river go dry. Then they'll put the environmental flow down, and, and they think they're going to make things live. You know, what's wrong with them? Mm. They should leave the water alone and let water down all the time. 
I understand that we've got to have cotton to have clothes, you know, to make things. But when they grow any less, send it away anyhow. So what's the use of, you know, raping a country when we don't get to say, say we, they send all the cotton away, then they sell it back to us, you know? And, and they reckon that they're smart. It's a um, very arid country, isn't it? It is. And, you know, and <clears throat> if you wasn't up, excuse me, you should come up here and just have a look at the country and, you know, and that's why we get up in arms. And another thing, you know, when uh, they talk about Aboriginal people, you know, and they give us this and they give us that, well, us Barkindy people, we got our native title rights about two years ago, mm. you know, and it was great. Everyone celebrated with us. Government people come out and talk to us and that. And now... They take the water away. So what they're trying to do, they give us one thing, take something else away, what they're going to try and perish us out. And when they stop that river from running, they're not only perishing the black people out, us barking people, they're perishing the white people out too because everyone depends on the river. It's like veins going through your blood, you know, through your body, sorry. And it's just not on. And what do you think about the um, drinking water shortages? The drinking water shortage is, is bad, really, really bad. And sort of with a lot of this, you know, there's a big thing there going on about the pipeline from the Murray to Brogan Hill. Mm. Okay. So, again, I think that's a very, very stupid idea because Menindi and uh, Brogan is out from Menindi to the southwest of uh, the Darling River. It's only 100 k's away. Right, that's where the big story is. So the smart government people of the Murray Island Basin, they're going to let the water go us 100 k's away from us. They could restore the old pipeline, and they're still in use, but it's leaking a bit. Fix that up. They're going to let the water go from Menindi right out of the Murray, right? Mm. And then pump it 300 k's back. Where's the sense in that? Mm. And, and sometimes they'll be pumping up hill. Mm. I can't see any sense in it, you know? So it's stupid. You know, they should leave things alone. they fix fixed the river. And when they've done, they've done the, uh, sorry, uh, the Menindi Lakes, you know, they put the big dams in. And when they've done all that, they destroyed a lot of our sites. You know, and some of them are sacred where, where they've done ceremonies and that. But also in the lakes, they destroyed burials which we couldn't do anything about. The old people just stood there and cried, so we had to remove them because the water, you know? Mm. And then, and I was a National Parks officer for 21 years, and that's what I'd done. Walked around my old people and cried with them over our sites, removed the burials out from the lake, so they'd done all that. They disturbed, we had to disturb the burials and take them because of the water, and everyone needed water. Mm. Then, that was back in the, say, early 80s, I started right at this you know, 70s and then the early 90s. Then, you know, we get to 2000 and something. Then now they're drying the lake, so they make us do one thing with our sacred things in our sites. And we've done it because we all needed the water. Mm. And now they're drying the lakes. So, uh, I don't know, it just really breaks your heart sometimes to see and see the misery what people go through. But they just don't care, you know. Hmm. And uh, what do you think of the idea coming from the Murray Darling Basin Authority to um, 
flood the river every five years or so to mimic what would happen naturally? See, see that? The Murray-Darling Basin mm. to what they do in there every five years to mimic, you know, that's, they're lying to people when they say that. Mm. You know, with the environment now, right, look, I'm glad that I haven't got an education like they got. I'm glad that I was brought up in a tin hut on the riverbank. Mm. Otherwise, I'd be so stupid as them if I had this good education. <laughs> yeah. And that's something I don't want. They can't mimic that. If you look at the world today and how everything's changing, you know, they they can say they want to do it for five years, so they perish as out layer like they're doing now, you know, keep all the water up above Burke, and then every five years, if some of us survive, then they'll give us a bit of water every five years. It's like who they think they are. They can't play God. They're not God, mm. you know, and they got to stop that. If you get a flow... That flow, like I said before, a little flow should come down that river all the time. I disagree with the five years, every five years, mm. you know. And what they're doing now, you know, they, they've put in a pipeline in now, like we talked about before. Sorry, mm. I'll get a bit of motion, I'll get carried away sometime. But what they've done before about in the, say, 2000 and something, about four, ten years ago, the... Anna Branja runs out off the Darling River up near Minindi, at the Minindi Lake, and it runs in down below Webworth at a place called Fort Courage in that area. Mm. So what they done about five, ten years ago, they built a pipeline for the people along the river. This what they plan. So these plans with the Murray-Darling Basin put, they're not new plans. They're telling the people that they're new plans, but they're not. You know, and I hope some of them will listen to this conversation. They mm. put a pipeline in. It came from Fort Courage up along the Rogan Road, and then it cut back in, and back in the Anna Branch and put it in there. Before that pipeline went in, that Anna Branch used to flow now and again. But when that pipeline went in, that Anna Branch stopped flowing for nearly ten years. Mm. Right now, they want to put a pipeline from down that went just up from Fort Courage, run it to Brogan Hill. So you know what the mighty Murray Darling Basin doing now? They let a good flow down the Hannah Branch and the Hannah Branch is beautiful now. It was a dust bowl for a long time. Then a lot of the fish like the golden uh, the perch, silver perch and the perch, Calip what a lot of people call it, they fingerlings are uh Corndilla, like Corndilla and Minindi, and they let all those little fingerlings, the little fish go down the Anna Branch. Oh, and they done great. So what they do now, they let those fish go down, hit the Anna Branch and go. Why all this is going on, soon as that pipeline go in, right, mm. those Minindi lakes, they're going to stop the Minindi lakes, the Anna Branch will probably never flow again. Mm. And I'd like to be proven right and let and they let water down there, you know, proven wrong. Mm, mm. But as soon as that go in, they well, we won't have anything. But they've not given us, and the Menindee Lakes is, you know, top priority now for everyone. As soon as they do that, those Menindee Lakes, they're not saying 
or giving us anything on paper to say that the lakes will all have water. They're not doing that. So who are they kidding? Mm. They're stupid. Mm. They're very stupid people. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Yes, I hope uh, some of the government people are listening to our conversation. I hope the people what's listening to this is help us. Because if you help us, you're helping your future generation. Help us look after the, the Darling River, which we call Barker, in our language. Help us look after it, try and bring it back healthy for us and for future generations. doesn't matter what colour you are, help us with the river, because it's yours too. And what's the best way people can help? Is uh, get up, talk about it, and don't, you know, talk about it and say, leave the river alone, because, you know, I don't know, Corey, but, you know, I'm starting to get emotional about it, but it's, well, I just don't know what to say there. Right. Just help us, support us, and, and say, you know, because it could happen down in their country too, you know? Mm. It could happen anywhere. Look after the country. People shouldn't be greedy with the country because otherwise nature will take its course and it'll get revenge on you. That's all I can say. Mm. Don't do it. You know? Help us. Help us, support us, and our fight to keep the river. Uh-huh. For everyone. Thanks very much for talking to me. No worries. You're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. That was Uncle Badger Bates from the Barkindji mob talking about water shortages in the Lower Darling River system. Now we're going to Jason Alexandra, who's an expert in water and natural resource management and used to work for the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. Hi, and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, it's Jason Alexandra here. I'm, uh, I've been involved with water policy and environmental policy for about the last 35 years in southern Australia. Uh, I've had a stint for five years in Canberra as a senior executive with the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, and I was on the board of Land and Water Australia. So I've been in, into different uh, roles uh, working around the question of how we get more sustainable natural resource management uh, in this continent. And um, what years were you on the Murray-Darling Basin Authority? Uh, well, I was there from... I was with the Murray-Darling Basin Commission in 2008, uh, and then uh, stayed there until 2013. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about the Murray-Darling Basin Authority? Okay. The Murray-Darling Basin Authority is a relatively new Commonwealth authority. Uh, it was created under the Commonwealth Water Act of 2007, and it took over all of the well, most of the previous forms of the Murray-Darling Basin Commission, which was an intergovernmental commission uh, established in 86 to manage the Murray-Darling Basin. And the Murray-Darling Basin Commission was the next generation on top of something called the River Murray Commission, which was formed, I think it was 1917, but it was formed out of an agreement at the uh, Constitutional Conventions to reach agreement on how Australia should federate. So uh, Australia has the situation, or the Murray-Darling has the situation where the main rivers cross over several states, and there's been this long history of working out how to get governments to agree on a cooperative uh, form or forum of governance. The authority, the, the, the new Murray-Darling Basin Authority, 
has been given additional powers and the principal powers to establish a statutory plan called the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. The first plan was gazetted, uh, basically went through the Commonwealth Parliament in 2012. And the plan uh, is a legal instrument that binds the state governments in terms of how much water they can take out of the rivers and has a number of other functions. It sets up water trading arrangements, uh, aims to manage salinity and water quality and, and so forth. It's a comprehensive piece of plan, but the important thing is it's a legal instrument. Mm. Great. So today we're looking at the Broken Hill water situation. Um, mm-hmm. Broken Hill is at the end of the Darling River just before it reaches the Murray. Due to water shortages, there's a plan to pump water back from the Murray into Broken Hill. Why is Broken Hill short of water? Okay, Darling is one of the most variable rivers in the world. So it has these uh, large flows due to flood sequences and then very low flows uh, uh, for many, many years. So, you know, we we have to... um, uh, when, when when we name something a river, you have to actually think a bit more deeply. I mean, they're, they're rivers in one sense, uh, in that they're common and that they drain water away from large areas. But Australian rivers in particular are highly variable. And the further inland and north we go, they tend to be even more variable. So the Darling is a huge river system. It rises in a low range of hills. Uh, uh, I think the highest around Toowoomba is only 600 metres above sea level. Most of the drop... Uh, occurs in the first 100 kilometres, and then it's over two, it's nearly 2,500 kilometres from its headwaters to where it meets the Murray. And so when it floods, a lot of water floods out onto these vast floodplains, fills wetlands, uh, birds breed, fish breed, you know, it's magnificent, but also has long sequences, dry sequences. Now, historically, um, Broken Hill has uh, been supplied out of the uh, some modified lakes uh, that were naturally occurring lakes, uh, on the Darling floodplain. I don't know the current situation, but I do know a little bit about it. And it's been a, uh, 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 it's, it's been a contentious question for many years about how to supply, uh, how to supply Broken Hill. And also when these lakes, they're shallow lakes and they're full, uh, they tend to evaporate a lot of water. And there's been talk of shutting them down over the years and then uh, the people say they want them for recreation. And I know there's been backwards and forwards and, in my view, pumping a bit of water out of the Murray to secure Broken Hills water supplies uh, actually probably a pretty good option. Um, did the Lower Darling River used to dry up before colonisation? Oh, most certainly. Uh, well, I think it was Sturt's uh, party uh, were out looking for the inland sea and they thought they'd found it uh, when they found this salty, what they thought was a salty estuary and it was the uh, Darling during a drought sequence. So... There's no doubt that it's uh, been a fluctuating river um, uh, for, for, you know, climatically for as long as probably any humans can remember. So, yeah, we've got to, you know, there's a, there's a, it, it, it's almost impossible now for uh, 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 just by looking at a, these contemporary rivers like the main rivers in the Darling and the Murray system to uh, imagine what they were like before there were dams and weirs and ways of controlling the flow and regulating the flow. So while there has been significant irrigation, I'll talk about that in a minute, and irrigation takes a lot of water, uh, we, we have to accept that they're, they're naturally variable rivers. So they have big peak flood flows and long low flows, or they can at times go to zero flows. So with the way that it's um, 
managed now with the the dams and the weirs and all that sort of stuff. Um, is it ever meant to dry up? Well, uh, the, the, well, first of all, the question is into. I mean, the, the rivers will dry up if there's a sufficiently dry sequence, uh, but also part of their flow, uh, the the uh, Think of a dam as a great big storage vessel that captures water when it's wet and holds it for use later on. But it can't, you can't hold it forever. If you're going to use it for a few years, it'll eventually dry up too. So that's what was happening a lot in the millennium drought. The rivers uh, were not necessarily fully dry, but they were really below what the expectation of uh, typical flows is in them. So with something, uh, I'll, 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 I'll talk numbers for a minute, Numbers about water can be very, very confusing. Mm. But I'll just give uh, an overall estimate of the water balance, typical water balance in the Murray-Darling system in terms of percentages. So uh, colleagues of mine uh, worked this through at, um, at the Australian National University, so bear with me, listeners. Of all rain that falls on the Murray-Darling Basin, 94% of all the precipitation, 94% of it goes back up through plants, through evaporation, back to the atmosphere. And only 6% forms all the streams and rivers and wetlands, um, all the groundwater recharge, everything that we think of as wet water. Some people refer to the first part as green water because it goes through plants. Just excuse me. (coughs) Of that 6%, before there was irrigation, only 2% ever went out the Murray mouth as it went to the sea. That is, two-thirds of it evaporated through floodplains, through wetlands, on the way, because Australia is so flat and typically dry. And then what we've done with irrigation, uh, particularly in the dry sequences, is taken a lot of that 2% and taken it out of the rivers and put it out through plants and the water goes up into the atmosphere, and we get oranges and avocados and wine grapes, pot and rice and all of that, for using that water that way. So there is, if we think of it, even though it's a renewable resource, there's a finite, finite amount of water in any river basin in any given period of time. And so the big uh, policy debate for the last 20 plus years has been how much that water should be used for economic purposes, like mostly irrigation, but also towns, manufacturing, maybe a bit for mining, and how much of it should be left for what what people call nature or environmental flows. And that debate has been playing out really since, I think it was 1994 or 95, when all Australian governments committed to uh, environmental flows based on the best available science for all our rivers. So... It's a new challenge. Uh, it's a big challenge and it's a difficult one. And we've had a lot of historical uh, irrigation development. It's occurred to begin with independently in each state or even in each locality. And then it's only more recently has there been a sense that because of the connected nature of the systems and because of the uh, failure to adjust to new social demands for the treatment of the environment that the Commonwealth stepped in. So in the initial research for the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, um, it was said that you'd need to return almost 7,000 um, gigalitres a year to the system for a low uncertainty of conserving key environmental assets and ecosystem functions. 
to, mm-hmm. to quote it. Um, the compromise um, made in 2012 was 3,000 to 4,000 gigalitres a year, which has now been reduced to 2,750 gigalitres a year. Um, so do you think that this is an adequate amount of water to protect the health of the system? I think, first of all, uh, to, to understand the process, it's really important to recognise that there's not a magic number from which or on which the environment will be protected. Mm. So uh, in one, you know, some, if we, if we went hypothetically or theoretically, we could say in the past all water flowing in all rivers was used by the environment and therefore the socially, uh, the environmentally acceptable level of extraction should be zero. So it's really, I'm, I'm a big believer in seeing these things as a socially constructed policy debate, not a technical debate. So if a bunch of people are asked, a bunch of experts, scientific experts are asked, how, what's the number? If you ask them a question, what's the number that will give us a low risk or will protect these environmental assets with a high degree of certainty with a low risk, it will be a big number. Mm. But we could even, I'll just turn that around. If we had to say, how will we protect Adelaide's water supply with a very high degree of certainty and low risk from future droughts, it will also be a big number. So it's partly to do with the highly variable nature of the system. So if we shift it out of a, a uh, straight technical or scientific discussion into one about what's socially acceptable risk and what's socially acceptable environmental change, we can be sure that 2,000 gigalitres or 3,000 gigalitres of water that was formerly going to extractive uses, going to the environment, will have positive impact. Whether it'll be enough or not will really be up to people in the future to determine. So there's been a big, a big complex socially constructed process to work through a big complex socially constructed policy debate. And there will always be uh, differences of view about what what is the right level, what's the right number. It's like a tug of war between more, more water for the environment, more water for industry. And in one sense, if we're too upset with that number, we're missing the point that it's taken probably, let's say, 120 years of irrigation development or 100 years of irrigation development to get to the point where the majority of water was going to irrigation. Then society, and through the big complex political processes, society says, hang on a minute, we think there should be more that goes to the environment. A series of attempts to get more to the environment were were going fairly slowly, uh, and then a a Commonwealth intervention, a lot of money went to shifting it some of the way. Now, you know, I think in the future we might go further, further, direction. But the, the systems like the Murray are highly modified systems, you know, big dams, uh, the floodplains have been changed with levee banks and agriculture, etc. And so what, what is it that's trying to be achieved? It will be some social compromise between, if you like, an, an idealised environment or an idealised nature and a, uh, a, a politically and political level of extraction. So it's a long answer, but to, to summarise why I think uh, those downward ratcheting down to the uh, politically acceptable number is because the, 
the, the political or the policy process had to take into account uh, social and economic impacts, but it also had to come up with something that was uh, socially and politically acceptable. Mm. So if but, we see it as a as a, a, a stage, a gradual stage, um, you can you can get very legalistic and say it does meet all the requirements in the Act, but that Act, and I know it pretty well, is open to a lot of interpretation. So there will be these debates backwards and forwards. Is it enough? Is it not enough? I guess my appeal is to the long-term picture to go, well, it's more than has happened in the past. It's actually more than happened in most big rivers around the world. Let's give it a chance. Let's not fill with it, modify it often, etc. Give it a chance, see what happens, and then if more is needed in the future, um, then the process allows for that uh, to occur through the legislative reviews. Um, one thing that um, I was interested in when I was reading about the Murray-Darling Basin Authority is um, that there were plans to uh, f- to uh, flood the um, Lower Darling River on a five to ten year basis to sort of mimic natural flows. Can you talk yep. me through that? Okay, so the, uh, the lower uh, part of the Darling has what's called the Great Darling Anna Branch and uh, it's quite an important area, both the Lower Darling and the uh, Anna Branch are important. Things uh, like fish breeding and, uh, you know, as, as an environmental area, big floodplain ecosystem, uh, as is most of the Murray and, and the Lower Goulburn and so on. So to comprehend them, you know, they're big flood-pulsed rivers through eons um, of uh, this flood drought cycle. We accept that as the underlying uh, climatic driver of those systems. Then all the birds and the fish and the plants and so on have evolved to be uh, well, experts or opportunists at dealing with the uh, big flow events, say, breeding, etc. Part of the environmental plan uh, is to look at where there are significant environmental gains by adding environmental water. And I think what you're referring to is the Lower Darling, the Darling Anabranch is one of those areas that will attract some of the allocated environmental water. Thanks very much for appearing on the show. No worries. You can call me any time about water. I like talking about it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That was Jason Alexandra, who's an expert in water and natural resource management and used to work for the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. Before that, we heard from Uncle Badger Bates of the Barkindji mob. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 03 9419 8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. We're currently having our annual Radiothon, where we aim to raise $220,000. It's thanks to the generosity of listeners like you that we can keep such a valuable independent media source pumping. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au. Dot org dot au.